0: In the great state of Texas. <clears throat> this is going to be a little bit of a different type of message this morning. And I just want to address this topic clearly and as God gives me strength biblically. If you have an outline, I'd encourage you to turn to it. We'll be in Matthew chapter 22 and verses 15 through 22. And we're going to speak on this subject this morning. Church and state... When to disobey Caesar. This past week in Houston, Texas, the mayor, Anise Parker, subpoenaed the sermons of certain Houston area pastors who opposed her on policy issues. Subpoena being court order to surrender your documents. It was something called the HERO Act, the Houston Equal Rights Ordinance, which basically allowed Uh, men to enter women's bathrooms if the man thought that he should be uh, a woman. They could call it restroom equality. A number of Houston area pastors opposed the mayor on this. And this is something that not just pastors oppose, but people who didn't necessarily believe that you have to believe biblical morality to think that dudes going into the ladies' room is not a good idea. Because there are heterosexual creepers, and there's homosexual creepers, there's transvestite creepers, and they're thinking the best thing for this scenario, for the city of Houston, would be to not allow men to go into the women's bathroom if they thought that they were a woman. So in response, the mayor ordered in Houston, Texas in the U.S. of A, that these pastors were under orders to set their sermons subpoenaed. And in East Parker, the mayor wrote on Twitter the next day, quote, if the five pastors used pulpits for politics, their sermons are fair game. The firestorm of controversy broke out on news outlets, conservative, moderate, if you can find one. And liberal news outlets. Twitter was absolutely blowing up that a, that a, an American mayor subpoenaed the sermons of pastors in her area. And everyone saw that this is nothing more than government intimidation. And for a government that we have, whether it be local, state, national, we can probably all admit Democrat, Republican, Libertarian, Constitutional Party, Green Party, whatever it may be, that maybe, that just maybe, there may be a few problems in the government. Anybody? All right. So here's the issue. A mayor used the power of the political office to intimidate the opponents. But you know what? This is not something that's necessarily within just that case. Last month, Senate Majority Leader of the United States Senate, not just Houston, Texas, and 46 members of the Democratic Party in the Senate put forward a proposal to actually amend the First Amendment to, in, to cut down and limit the amount and influence of money in politics. Even the Wall Street Journal had an, in, an article titled, Harry Reid Rewrites the First Amendment. In other words, if that amendment were to pass, Congress would be able to regulate what Planned Parenthood has to do with elections, what the NRA, what the Family Research Council, any type of group would be subject to Congress's restrictions. Now, I've been able to go to two formerly communist countries, Kazakhstan and Romania, and in Romania... Before the wall fell, while it was still under communism, and this is the case in the Soviet Union as well, you could actually have a state church. Some people think that there were no churches in those communist countries. You actually could have a church and you could actually preach sermons with one small asterisk that the manuscript of your sermon was, check this out, church, committed to, presented to the local politburo, which was the political action committee of that Type of government, and they had to approve what you could say. So you could go to church, sit in a pew, hear a sermon, but what you heard was only allowed by the government. In other words, it was an edited sermon by the government itself. Some of, the, some of you have seen Rocky, Rocky Part 4 with Ivan Drago, and they're fighting there in Russia. And the camera pans and it says, and the Politburo looking on. It was this lofty loft filled with Soviet bureaucrats. And that was intentional in the communist mind because the Politburo, the ones who were in charge, were above physically and in every way the common people. They said, here's what you can say. And not only that, but here's what you can believe. So you could go to an official church in any communist country and you could hear things as long as it, number one, did not disagree with government policy. Secondly, as long as it did not clearly present the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because the gospel has brought down more governments than any other philosophy combined. In these communist countries, people believe what they believe because they are told that that's what they should believe. But when I read my Bible, I think of the book of Joshua, where he says, as for me and my house, we will, help me out church, we will serve the lord and let's just say in rocky about baptist church that as for us and our church we will serve the lord not out of a sense of thinking that we know more or we're better than other people but we will not be intimidated by whether it be a state government or a federal government from limiting what is said from this pulpit former president dwight d eisenhower said quote if you want total security go to prison there you're fed clothed given medical care and so on, the only thing that is lacking is freedom. Now, already some of you that are more anti-establishment than others may think, I am liking this sermon already. Some that are more reserved, more faithful to a system may say, well, there are questions that I have about Christians and civil disobedience. The question is this. When should Christians begin to disobey government edicts? And our driving thought is this. It's there in your outline. I encourage you to follow along with me. When Caesar or when the government oversteps his or its bounds, he or it should not be obeyed. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 22 beginning there in verse number 15. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him, speaking of Jesus and his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care. This is so awesome. You do not care about anyone's opinion. Come on. This is Jesus. You do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, meaning you are not pushed around. Tell us this then. Notice how they tried to trick Jesus, which is always a bad idea. It's a great way to look stupid in the end. Verse 17. Tell us this then. What you think, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they marveled and they left him and they went away. Jesus's answer contains several powerful truths that you and I As Americans and as Christ followers would do well to understand. Otherwise, we're going to, on one hand, be swayed by the government, maybe, telling us to do things that are wrong. And on the other hand, being very reactionary. Have you known somebody who's been so much into politics, they may even be right according to your opinion, but they're just angry about it. Just angry. We don't want to be that. Some of you are already under conviction. All right. So here's what we see from Jesus' answer. Number one, we see the Pharisees tried to pit Jesus against the religious and the political powers. N- notice the rock in the hard place. If Jesus said, yes, you should give taxes to Caesar, the Jewish leaders would say, well, Jesus, doesn't the Bible tell us that only there is only one God and God is the king and so forth? Aren't you becoming a political auxiliary for the Roman Empire. And on the other hand, if Jesus says, don't pay that stinking tax. Don't tread on me. Guess what would happen? Caesar would have an issue and Jesus would not be able to fulfill his message or his mission for coming into the world. So it was a rock and a hard place, but notice that Jesus, knowing the hearts, he knows that the question is hypocritical rather than a genuine seeking after truth. And when we share the gospel with people, we need to be led by the Holy Spirit of God and that not all questions people ask are genuine questions. Now, don't go around being Mr. or Mrs. Holy Spirit, being like, I know you asked why God exists or how God can exist, but I know that you're just a real jerk. That's the reason why you ask that. Don't do that. But be led by the Spirit of God to know that many times questions that are asked, are they're merely smoke screens for what lies behind. So Jesus knowing this, He asked the question, why do you put me to the test, you hypocrites? Let's just be honest here for a minute. Whether you're a Christian or whether you're not, whether you're Christ's follower or whether this is your first time having to do with anything religious, Jesus, Bible, sometimes if we can peel back the layers of our heart, the reasons why we ask the questions that we ask and say the things that we say, it's because we just want to be justified in doing what we do. You know what I'm saying? But when Jesus comes in, we truly want truth. And that's what he's getting at. Notice this. His claim, Jesus' response, his answer to this hypocritical question contains two truths. Number one, government does have a place. But number two, government is not God. Notice he says, give Caesar the tax. And this word in the image and likeness, it's. It's the word "icon" in the Greek language, to where it's basically a stamped image. He's saying Caesar minted this coin; he, it was formed by Caesar's. It has everything to do with Rome. Give it to Rome. But in this cool, go with me. Who in whose image and likeness are we made? Genesis chapter one. Man, this is so cool. Isn't is like the Bible will rock your world? It really will. Like I just hope that some people in church would just open it up and read it. Amen. It's awesome. Like, so he's saying this, the coin is made, crafted, minted by Rome. Therefore it's Rome's, but you have been minted and crafted and made and designed by God. So here's the question. When he says, notice here in verse, um, verse number 21, when he says render to Caesar, this word here has to do with giving an obligation to pay out, to fulfill. He's saying, pay the tax to the tax man, but give God what he deserves. In other words, we could say, what duty? What is my duty in response to God? Well, to love him. Amen, church? To love God and to show thankfulness for everything that he's done and to enjoy him, to obey him. Where he tells me in the Bible that I'm a sinner and that left to myself, I can't do anything to earn forgiveness. Are you tracking with me this morning? See how offensive this is that to say you are not a good person. Aren't you glad you came to Rocky Mount Baptist? Amen. You could have gone to a liberal church somewhere and, you know, so. um, But he says that, that, that I'm a sinner. I can't do anything to save myself, which means that you're not actually good. You think you're good compared to the, to the action murderer that you saw on TV. You're like, I'm not Jeffrey Dahmer. I'm not this. But according to God, you're jacked up. According to God, guess where Jeff Robinson would be without Christ on his way to hell. In other words, your life, your job, the car that you're working, that you worked for, or that you're working to pay off in five or seven years, or you're leasing, or that house that you got the mortgage for or paid off, or, or, or those clothes that you have, or those fun toys that go boom, or they shine really bright, or they go vroom, vroom, vroom on the lake. The beautiful children that wife and husband God has, has blessed you with, all of that, according to the gospel, one day will be pointless and hopeless and will be for nothing if you die without Christ. Because that's what you deserve, and that's what I deserve. So then in our desolation, our disillusionment, and this dark world, we're like, okay, so if I work hard, I pay my bills, I, I put a little bit back for retirement, then is the Bible telling me that one day it's all going to be meaningless? Jesus says, what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world but loses his own, help me out church, his own soul? The gospel says that this life is not so that we can accumulate things, not that we can become awesome things, but so that we can give glory to God through whatever he makes us in whatever type of work, whatever family or lack thereof, whatever brokenness, whatever cancer, whatever divorce, whatever family drama, whatever economic downturn, through all of those things we Come to God in brokenness and say, I I cannot do this without you. Please give me mercy. It is in those things that we bring glory to God. And here's the thing, in our brokenness, you ever been to the point where you're really guilty and broken? Not like I feel bad about what I've done, so I'm gonna start to do better, but like I feel so bad about what I've done, I don't have anywhere to turn but to God. God knew that we are and would be and would do what we've done, but yet he sent Jesus into the world. Jesus who lived a perfect life. Jesus got the A-plus on the moral report card, the one that we could never get, combined, even in a church, which may not be saying a lot. He came into the world to destroy the works of the devil according to 1 John. He came into the world to save sinners. And that when we realize and admit and confess and take that bag of excuses and throw it away and say, God, without you, I am not good. I need your forgiveness. I need to be saved. I don't need to just start coming to church. I need Jesus to save me. You see, That's when we render to God, when we obey Him and repent and believe the gospel. Jesus is saying, God created you, you're broken in a sin-cursed world, but Jesus, through the power of the gospel and the power of God, can make us brand new. All of our talents, all of our baggage, all of our brokenness, we come to God and we render that to Him. And a beautiful picture of grace, even though we deserve hell, we deserve judgment, Jesus' loving arms come around us. He forgives us. Amen, church. He washes us clean. Washes us clean. That means every dirty thing that we've ever done. Everything that we think, you know what, I continue to do it time and time and time again. How could God ever do anything with me? God is more powerful than our sin. Aren't you glad? And He comes in and He forgives us. He makes us brand new. And that life is rendered to God. You see, that's the gospel. That's what Jesus is getting at here. But the other side of his equation, we say, okay, well, if our lives, our souls, our all is for God, then how should I as a Christ follower respond to Caesar? How should I respond to the government? You may want to write this down, that government cannot claim allegiance that only God deserves. Government can't claim it. So notice that Christ followers, number one, this is going broader, should understand the proper territory of government. So the question is, what is the proper territory? What's the proper domain of government? Number one, it would be national defense. It's the job of every government to protect their people from invasion and so forth. Public works, roads, bridges, infrastructure. This comes from Adam Smith and the Law of Nations, which, by the way, was published in 1776. Hello. Hello. And that work on the wealth of nations had to do with what is the proper role of government. These men, some came out of the Enlightenment who were not even Christians, but they began to understand that there are certain things that the government cannot take. Also law enforcement, whether it's punishment of street crime or white-collar crime. And so as followers of Christ, our first response to the government would be, do your job, pass a budget, it's already getting tense, no, seriously, the government's role is to make sure that the government runs to fulfill government responsibilities, which means passing a budget, doing things within that, just like all of us have to do, or otherwise we have a large man and his twin named Bubba and Bubba number two knocking on the door, and it is lizard-lick towing even worse. Right? Like we, we have to live in that world. We have to live in that world where we pay our bills. But what we can tell the government is do your job. And we will be tax-paying, supporting, law-abiding citizens to that end so we won't take from the system, we'll give to it. But when it comes to free speech, when it comes to freedom of religion, whether this is a peaceful protest on the Capitol steps or whether it's a private email or a public pulpit podcast, keep your hands off. Let me give you a statement by a scholar named Peter Gosnell. He wrote a book on the ethics of the Bible, and he, he gave this statement. It is useless to be a public advocate for the poor while never actually giving anything to the poor nearby. Can somebody say hashtag ouch? Or worse, never talking to or befriending people who are poor. Mm. The rich politician, this is, this is power charge now, The rich politician who advocates taxing the rich, but who maintains an affluent lifestyle while donating minimal amounts of money to poor people would not be treated well in the world of biblical ethics. Meaning, followers of Christ, we applaud and we encourage sacrificial charity, don't we? To provide for those who who are in need. But it's another matter altogether for a politician to use money that is not his or hers you see where this is going, and act as if they are morally superior when they're giving money that's not actually theirs. So what is outside of Caesar's territory? What is off limits to the government's interference? Personal liberties, free speech, freedom of religion, freedom of self-defense. Say, oh my word, he went there. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Even if you're taking notes, this should be in your outline. First uh, Samuel chapter 13, verse 19. It says, There was no blacksmith to be found throughout the land of Israel. And the Philistines said, quote, Lest the Hebrews make themselves swords or spears. This has nothing to do with hunting, nor does the Second Amendment have anything to do with hunting. Can you imagine? In 1787, when it was crafted, I mean, like, uh, someone would have to say, we need to codify your right to hunt deer. Y'all Okay. That had nothing to do with it. It had to do with the right the, from God, a basic human natural law right of self-defense. And every conquered nation, every nation that would be conquered has been disarmed. So in the words of the great scholar M.C. Hammer, you can't touch this. Even the atheist, Ian Ron, who wrote the book Atlas Shrugged, which is now in, I think, two parts of that has been turned into a movie, she said, quote, this is an atheist, quote, a government is the most dangerous threat to man's rights. It holds a legal monopoly on the use of physical force against legally disarmed victims. And some people say, not. now, I know a lot of y'all are ironclad. It got really quiet again. This is Southwest Virginia. I know there's some grannies that are packing a pearl-handled 38 in your purse right now. And you don't even have a permit, but here's the here's the question, right? Here's the question, you know, what what how should Christians respond to the bearing and the use of arms? Didn't Jesus tell Peter to put away the sword? Well, several several considerations would be helpful here. Number one, Jesus was talking to Peter and those who didn't want Jesus to die. Follow me here. Jesus not dying, Jesus not rising, Jesus not rising, no salvation equals not good. he was dealing with people who thought he was either going to be a political messiah coming in chuck norris-esque style just taking names and dropping bodies and jesus says "No, no no the character of god is one of humility so i came into the world as a humble hebrew peasant's son son of a carpenter that's how I came into the world, and I must die for the sins of the world. Secondly, Jesus did condemn fighting wars in his name. He told Pilate, he says, look, my kingdom is not of this world, therefore, if it was, my servants would fight. So in other words, there's no, there's no biblical warrant for us to wage a Christian jihad. There's no biblical warrant for us to paint a cross on the front of our uniforms and go kill people and wage war in the name of Jesus. But Jesus was not saying and never said that it is wrong to defend basic human liberties. In fact, being a follower of Jesus Christ, we should do as much good in the world as we possibly can. And there are some instances to where the use of force, not excessive force, follow me here, is actually the right thing to do. I know some people, they say, well, Jeff, if it came to the point to where my family was being threatened, someone broke into the home, a a, a person wielding a machete, trying to cruelly take out the lives of my family, I would defend my family even if it meant lethal force. But I know I would be breaking a law of God. The sixth commandment says you shall not murder. The context is a premeditated, unjustified taking of human life. But I believe this is... What I believe the scriptures to teach that it would be the wrong thing to allow someone to run roughshod over other people, to kill, torture, maim, burn until their hearts desire. I believe the right thing to do is to use appropriate force. One person. Thanks, Paul. You see now hold a brother what what, what what does the Bible say about obeying the government? Romans thirteen. Romans 13, once again, codifies and organizes the proper role of government, which is very simply to punish those who do good, right, and reward those who do evil. But the Bible is actually full. This is kind of cool. The Bible is full of examples of people disobeying the government. The Bible does teach that we should obey the government so long as it is within the law, capital L. The Hebrew midwives in the book of Exodus, when Pharaoh said, when all the Hebrew boys are killed, you should kill those children. Or when they're born, you should kill the children. The Hebrew midwives feared God and disobeyed the order. If we lived in Nazi Germany and we were born national Germans and we were put into a certain form there to say, we want you to kill these Jews, we want you to gas these gypsies, before God, the right thing to do would be to resist that order. So government doesn't have total control. The book of Daniel. Daniel disobeyed the king's order to eat unclean food. And that was a Jewish matter of conscience. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Nebuchadnezzar, I mean, built this huge statue of himself. Imagine how weird that would be. Like you're talking to your friend, and maybe they've done well this past year. They brought in a lot of money. So say, what are you going to do? Well, I've got a piece of land out in the country, and I thought about building a 90-foot statue of myself. I mean, you're just like, what? And so he built a statue, made everybody bow down and pray. These guys are like, look, I can't worship you, bro, because you're not a God. There was one guy I talked to one time, and he really believed that he was a God. I was like, God doesn't wear an iPod headphones, right? And it was It was very, very bizarre. But here's what they say in chapter three, verse 18, book of Daniel. But if not, meaning if God does not, Deliver us. Let it be known to you, O king, that we... Check it out. We will not serve your gods or worship the golden image image that you have set up. Even when Darius became the king, Daniel refused to stop praying. They said, everybody has to pray to the king. He went to his open window. Open window. And he began to pray as he had always done. And we know the story of Daniel in the lion's den. We know that Peter, the same one who wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2... Verse 13, be subject to the Lord's sake, to every human institution. In Acts chapter 4, Peter and John were ordered by the authorities to stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And you know what they said? They said, for we cannot but speak of what we have heard. Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you, rather than to God, you must judge. Even the Apostle Paul and Acts chapter 22, verse 25. He exercised his rights as a Roman citizen because he was about to be scourged. And Paul said to the centurion, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Meaning, here's the apostle Paul, who God used to write much of the New Testament, and it was fully within Paul's best interest in the glory of God to assert Roman law. That means that Christians should not have a persecution complex. That means if persecution comes, we deal with it when it comes through the power of God. But it's not something that Christians should go out and seek. They actually had a problem in the early church. You know, we even talk about Voice of the Martyrs and how that's a glorious thing. They had people in the early church actually going out and trying to get martyred. They did and they do. It's like, and they had they had to come together and we they're like, well, we know we know that the persecution, God works through that. We know that's a glorifying thing when someone is put to death for their faith in Christ, but it's not something that we should go out and be like kamikaze Christians. It means that we should do everything that we can to spread liberty and defend freedom. So Christ followers should obey, or excuse me, disobey the government when there are quote-unquote laws that violate personal liberties. Number one, the way that we do this is public dialogue. It means talking to people. It doesn't mean intimidating people. It means getting on Facebook and Twitter, emailing, personal conversations, Starbucks conversations, and talking to people about what is right. For example, the government should not limit free speech. The government should not make its citizens subjects by disarming them. It is so tense, man, I'm telling you. Secondly, there is what we call legal recourse because most scholars tell us that that law is always downstream from culture, meaning that let's get involved in the legal battle through humility, through strength to defend what needs defending. It is not a virtue for a Christian to simply lay down and allow evil to continue. What's very interesting is from some of our friend's uh, who would call themselves advocates of the separation of church and state, they have been very, very, very silent when this past week the city of Houston, the state, invaded the church. You see, often what we hear is we want to keep church and state separate, which means that Lee Flora and his guys from the Gideons who want to go on a school campus and simply pass out New Testaments, I mean, you don't even have to believe in God. You don't have to believe the Bible. But scholars will tell you that Western civilization was built on the Bible. Even if you don't believe it, even if you believe it's just a historical document, and most of it's not even true, it's still good education. But yet many of the separation of church and state crowds say, we don't want you guys here. But then when the government comes in and says, we want to start editing pastor sermons, it is so quiet, you can hear Crickets. Self-defense is the final, the final step to refusing to allow evil to go unchecked. For those of you that are fans of the old school Twilight Zone with Mr. Rod Serling, he said this. There's a great episode, it's about 25 minutes long, called The Obsolete Man. Dr. Neal. This is, by the way, this is my friend Adam Neal, all the way from Georgia. He's a full-time professor, he's my hero. He's in the PhD program, he's so smart. And Adam and I actually we we've actually had a lot of political arguments. And so I'm glad you're here today because some people's like, who who has the super with like the fifteen hundred Obama stickers? Like who broke into the pastorium? You know, like so I love you, bro. All right. So so some people are like, man, Jeff is like so like wild libertarian or conservative or whatever. I have friends, alright, I have friends. And so it's so cool he's here today, because we can talk about these things, but we can totally agree, even though we're on the different sides of the aisle on a lot of these issues, that the government cannot limit free speech and the right to self defense. Rod Serling says this, any state, any entity that, any ideology that fails to recognize the worth, the dignity, the right of man, that state is obsolete. And so what happened is the mayor has now rescinded the order saying that it wasn't what they intended it to be. But everybody knows that you can spin and you can spin and you can spin. And if you spin enough, you become a hurricane. And that's the storm that has come. So Pastor Jeff, what should we do about this? Number one, we should understand and educate ourselves about God's word and about the government. That means read. Come on. Not that you can't learn anything from Netflix documentaries, but sometimes if you're just sitting there watching stuff that's making all of us stupider. I mean, I'm guaranteed, man, I've watched some shows on TV and I can't even figure out how to turn on the microwave afterwards. It's like like brain cells just oozing out. (laughs) We're not going to get into weird conspiracy theories. Well, you know, they're doing that, so the population will be stupid and they'll accept whatever the government said. I'm like, we're kind of already there. They don't need help. (laughs) And I just offended somebody on that. But we should, we should educate ourselves not to be Mr., you know, I'm a you know smart person, but to be able to give an answer on what's the proper role of government, what's the proper role of our faith in Christ, which should saturate everything. And really, it should make us better citizens. Amen? So we should learn. We should educate ourselves on what actually is. But in doing that, now those of y'all that are wild conservatives, please hear me. You need to learn how to communicate your views in love sometimes you say i can even be right we can be right about jesus but do it in such a manner that it turns people off we say jesus is loving but when they see us they think that jesus is a jerk so let's communicate regardless of your political party regardless of your views on any of this let's communicate as opposed to talk past each other But really the big idea from this whole passage is render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, but here's the big part. Render unto God what is God's. Have you ever given your life to Jesus? You know, one day all this will be finished. We can get all worked up about politics, but politicians change office. It usually goes from Democrat to Republican and so forth. But one day all of that's going to be finished and we're going to stand before God. And the question is, if you stood before him, would you be innocent or guilty? Has there been a time in your life to where Christ has come into your life and changed you? Not have you walked down an aisle or or been dunked. There's actually a baptistry back there that we dunk people in and baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Not, Not have you joined a church, but have you been saved? Have you received desires that you've never had before? Have you been transformed? Because it's very easily, and those of you that you may be new to church, you'll like this. It's very easy to be converted to church, but not converted to Jesus where people begin to get fired up about things that change that have nothing to do with the gospel, we need to be converted to Jesus. And he's the one who has so much love, he can change the heart of the Republican, of the Democrat, Libertarian, all of the political parties because Jesus transcends all of that. So the question is, if you come to the point where you have rendered your life to the true king, the president who doesn't have a term, but it's good Because he will always be good. Have you given your life to him? Secondly, have you plugged in with a local church? We're going to have an invitation here in just a few moments. Bam won't be up here. We're going to do an old school hymn. We're going to stand. We're going to sing. If God is leading you to connect with Rocky Mount Baptist Church, we encourage you to come. Join up with us because our area needs Jesus.